and you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, LGBTIQ community journalist Shabu Thomas from the Star Observer joins us and we chat with activist Rodney Croom about the Religious Discrimination Bill. 3CR Well, Star Observer is Australia's longest running LGBTIQ publication. Shabu Thomas is a journalist who came from Mumbai to Melbourne to work there two years ago and we chat this week. Though it's lockdown, it's a, like a huge time for news, uh, not just in Australia, but from across the world. So it's, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been rocking and yeah, it's been good. But yeah, uh, like uh, something that I've been working on is uh, October is uh, Queer History Month. Uh, so something that we have been working on are stories about um, histories, uh, history of the LGBTQI community from in Melbourne, uh, in Victoria, as well as in New South Wales. So that is something that I have been kind of uh, over the last one month. Uh, that's what I've been pursuing. So, yeah, some of the stories are amazing. As in, um, I've been here in Melbourne only in t- uh, only two years time. I think my only exposure to Australia before this was uh, uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, which I watched like as a kid, <laughs> probably. So I, it was it was it's great to know uh, the kind of vibrant um, and um, like um, the vibrant uh, LGBTQI scene here. So th- that's amazing. Yeah. And to learn more about it uh, every day. Yeah. So tell us about the journey that brought you from India to Australia. So I joke it's a midlife crisis, but honestly, it was uh, my partner was getting transferred here. Um, so he's he's from uh, Mumbai as well. He was in Singapore for a while, but uh, and we would do the long distance thing. Uh, so in 2019, he got transferred to uh, Melbourne. So yeah, I had to make a choice. <laughs> so and that's uh, that's that's how I moved uh, moved to Mel- Melbourne. Yeah. You've had a long uh, and distinguished career in journalism. Tell us about some of the more controversial stories that you've worked on in India and in Australia. It's interesting, as in, as in I wouldn't put, as in, no journalist starts to work on a story because it's controversial. Uh, I think it's it's mainly, I think for me, it's it has been a passion to tell stories. Uh, and stories not just from uh, like one community or the other, as in I worked uh, for almost two decades uh, in one of the... Um, most mainstream people, uh, news, uh, news, uh, news dailies in India called the Times of India. Uh, I have been covering um, codes. I have been covering crime. Um, I have been covering terror attacks. Like, you know, so it, it's been a whole a different ride than um, like what is, it has been for the last two years. Last two years, of course, lockdown has meant that uh, I've been sitting at home and working on stories for most of the time and getting story leads from story uh, from kind of uh, social media. But Otherwise, it's 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 been it's been a whole a wholly different kind of uh, scenario back in India. Um, so as, as I said, it's it's not it's like like you don't go looking for controversies. It's uh, the uh, the it becomes a controversy when people uh, people make it a controversy. So, for example, uh, the most recent story that I did uh, was about the Mister Gay World competition embracing trans men and trans identities. It's it's uh, for me it was a it was a hugely innocuous story it was it was hugely significant because it was uh, the message that it was sending out about inclusivity uh, but the kind of uh, uh, I think uh, the controversy that it generated on Facebook on our Facebook page so I was like that's what I'm like you know it's it's never a controversial issue it was all it's always the controversy that is uh, that that's a blowback that you kind of get and sometimes it's I think better to turn off social media sometimes because. Uh, the work that uh, as a, that the journalist or I think anyone who in the media who does is much more than like for social media likes or social media comments. So I think 
that, that's that's the really important thing to kind of uh, bear in mind. Why did people find that that story controversial? Uh, there is a huge uh, kind of movement that you see in the last couple of years um, against trans people that a, a section of the community has been kind of being motivated about, you know. Uh, and you see that not just in Australia. In Australia, you see that as in every day that you see that trans people have to really fight to kind of be heard uh, in the crowd. But at the same time, when stories uh, stories about trans identities are kind of published, the kind of uh, blowback that you get not just not just not just from um, the mainstream society, but from within the LGBT uh, L- LGBTQI community. So I think that is something that is it it is odd, but I think it's also kind of shows that how many how much uh, how much these voices are so important. Not just trans voices, but also uh, people of color and uh, First Nations people. It is important to bring out these stories because. Because uh, people have been used to a meta narrative about the LGBTQI scene, and I think it's time to change those things. You mentioned you're from Mumbai. What can you tell us about the pandemic in Mumbai? Mumbai has, uh, as in it, it was pretty terrible. As in uh, last year was, uh, I think the first wave was still kind of um, uh, ambling along, but I think it was the second wave. So, so in like March and April, it it was a terrible time for f- friends and family back home. You know, I've been. Uh, it's, uh, I've been, I think, March and April, almost like every other day, I have been sending out condolences messages. And being here in Australia, being in lockdown, and not being able to visit uh, family back home has been has been has been difficult, <laughs> to say the least. And uh, you don't know when you're going to uh, going as in when when restrictions will be completely off that you can uh, visit and come back. So uh, so it's 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 been weighing on. I think it's it's been being uh, it's being it's weighing on minds of people who live in two city, uh, two na- countries, right? Uh, not just uh, uh, people from other countries who are in Australia, but also Australians in other countries who want to come back home. So that's that's a huge, huge, huge challenge for many people. Of course, you covered the marriage equality debate in India quite extensively. What can you tell us about that coverage? Uh, so the marriage equality, as in the marriage, the fight for marriage equality is uh, still on in uh, India, right? Because it's it's just like uh, Three years, uh, 2018, that uh, the Supreme Court Court of India finally decriminalized same-sex relationships in India. Uh, till 2018, uh, 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 you could be, you could be, as in there was a, uh, you could be, there was a law that criminalized uh, same-sex relations. So uh, if you were gay and you were, uh, there was an anti-sodomy law, law in place that would have meant that you would be jailed for life or like, you know, so though that was like a hugely uh, traumatic period for many, I think many uh, LGBTQI Indians. So we've just kind of got rid of that law. Uh, and I think the marriage equality debate is slowly kind of picking up because it's it's not just marriages, right? It's it's just uh, like, you know, uh, like it's, it's only in 2018 that you have been deemed that you are no longer will be, you no longer will be treated as a criminal. So now you have to fight for all those rights that are available to other citizens in India, like marriage rights, like adoption rights, uh, like uh, rights to have uh, let's just start a family, right? Uh, for two people, two people in love to start a family. So those those that that debate is still going on. That fight is still going on for basic civil rights in India for the LGBTQI community. Three CR. You're listening to Radical Radio Three CR. Oh, it's 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 been tremendous. I'm like. Um, 
uh, as in i i knew it was a vibrant uh, community back uh, in here in melbourne but like you know it, it really surprised me like you know the kind of um, uh, the kind of diversity that is in the community here in melbourne i haven't i haven't seen much of the community because most of uh, most of the my time here has been uh, spent in lockdown whatever little time that i could kind of get out um, to uh, to venues i have seen an ama- amazing range of uh, spaces and amaz- amazing diversity but all, but all that's uh, like you know said and done i think we also need to be very aware that there 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 are the, the diversity that we speak of it it is not really um, kind of uh, ac- ac- uh, i think doesn't give space enough space to uh, people of color it doesn't give enough space to trans identities it doesn't give enough enough space to first nations be uh, queer people so i think that is something that i think the lgbtq community community has worked on the community here in uh, victoria has had an amazing history where they where they have fought for their rights right uh, like uh for they have been there have been police ra- uh, police raids that i have learned of there have been pretty tough times but i think it's a, it's a challenge that the com- community has emerged uh, to be such a vibrant uh, part of uh, part of society here in melbourne but i think the challenges remain uh, like it does in any other part of the world of course your fabulous media coverage of the local government elections here in victoria in 2020 and the queer candidates have earned you a globe nomination you must be absolutely delighted tell us about that <laughs> absolutely delighted i'm like uh, like two years back that was not on my uh, bingo card as as people here say you know uh, so it, it's it's been amazing as in uh, when we started the um, when we started the coverage uh, what we noticed was that uh, in mainstream media you had a like uh, coverage about the victorian council elections but the the but the but this historic rainbow wave that we were seeing uh, in action was not being covered in the same way that it should have been and i think that was a challenge for us uh, and also the challenge was to do all this during a, a during one of uh, one, one of the really harshest lockdowns in the world right so it it was it was a challenge but i think it also kind of uh, gave us access to candidates that uh, like you know that we wouldn't have otherwise you know in person we would have, there would have been a limitation that uh, about the number of candidates that we could have met but what uh, what uh, what the uh, what telephone interviews and zoom interviews kind of provided was an access to candidates from not just like in 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 melbourne or in the inner neighborhoods but also from uh, rural victoria so and and amazing stories you know amazing stories of courage and determination people who had kind of uh, who were in this because they believed that lgbtqi voices should be there in our councils so uh, so it it was amazing like uh, to uh, to to talk to these candidates to see their journeys and to bring these stories to our star observer and wider audiences so that that was a, a that was an amazing opportunity and the, the nominations are like just i think i, I would say the yeah uh, it, it's 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 an acknowledgement that uh, that the work that you do matters you know so that's that's good to know Absolutely. Shabu, congratulations. It's wonderful chatting with you. Uh, Keep up the fabulous work at Star Observer and thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Thanks a lot, James. Uh, Cheers. 
lasting delusion about children trapped in tunnels. That's how we got Aussie Q, it seems. And now everything else, I mean, now it's just a six-month pipeline from that to Australians who, who, who live in this alternate uh, American fantasy land where they post about Donald Trump all the time. So its ability to via Save the Children stuff to get a whole range of different political persuasions in is what I found fascinating, you know. I talk a lot in the Aussie Q videos about how your auntie, she might not be that far right wing now, but she might be quite left. She might just be a spiritual hippie type. But there's this broad appeal to things like Save the Children and Great Awakenings. There's almost a hippie-like quality to it, particularly when you tone down the whole MAGA element of, of traditional Q. And it's getting people in there. But Q is not just a conspiracy theory, is it? It is this conspiracy theory that is meant to drag you right after a few months. So your auntie's going to be talking about Make Australia Great Again in six months if she isn't right now. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. Keep on building lies that you make. 
Sarah McLaughlin there. Angel. Well, Rodney Croom is a Tasmanian-based activist who's been campaigning for queer rights in Australia for decades. This week we chatted about the federal government's religious discrimination bill. And there is some internet interference in this recording, but we're broadcasting it mostly unedited because of the content's strong public interest. The Federal Attorney-General, Michaelia Cash, has given a commitment that she will uh, bring the Religious Discrimination Bill to Parliament um, and actually table it uh, before the end of the year. Uh, So um, Parliament sits uh, in a few days' time. It could be as early as that or it could be as as late as December. But sometime in that period, it's very likely that we'll see this bill finally put to Parliament and uh, for the for the support or opposition in Parliament finally to be tested. I understand the moderates in the party and the Conservatives are lobbying the Attorney-General quite strongly about what the bill should be like. What are your sources telling you about those machinations and how they're manifesting? You're right that there is a lot of lobbying happening within coalition ranks um, and more moderate Liberal members uh, are trying to tone the bill down uh, to make it a more conventional bill, that is, a bill that uh, prohibits discrimination against people of faith, uh, which is, you know, I think, fine by everyone. Uh, no one should experience discrimination because of their religion. Um, as, as you know, the problem with the bill has been, uh, in its first two iterations, that uh, rather than prohibiting discrimination on the grounds of faith, it allowed discrimination in the name of faith. It allowed healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, etc., to discriminate against patients uh, if those healthcare workers had a religious objection to particular patients or treatments. Uh, it allowed uh, state, so-called statements of belief um, to uh, occur within workplaces that could be deeply degrading and humiliating to some people, um, and it allowed them these statements of belief to occur uh, without any kind of sanction. Um, there were a range of problems with this bill, um, including its override of state and territory legislation, particularly the Anti-Discrimination Act in Tasmania, um, which uh, has a provision much like Section 18C of the Race Discrimination Act. It prohibits uh, humiliating, intimidating, insulting and ridiculing conduct uh, on a range of grounds, including sexual orientation and gender identity, and the Religious Discrimination Bill proposed to water that down to allow uh, that kind of conduct, in, if again, if it's in the name of religion. Um, the bill would also have allowed religious organisations greater scope to discriminate. Um, so, for instance, in states uh, where currently it's not legal to discriminate uh, for faith-based schools to discriminate against LGBTIQA plus kids, uh, the bill would have allowed greater scope for discrimination against those, those young people. So it would basically have rolled back many of the discrimination protections Australians have taken a grant for granted for the last 10, 20, 40 years. Um, and the moderate liberals are trying to uh, make it less onerous. They're trying to take out some of those um, very bad and oppressive elements of the bill and make, make it, like I said, a bill that is more conventional, more like the existing Race, Sex and Disability Discrimination Acts, a bill that will simply prevent discrimination, not allow more discrimination. 
Is it your assessment that the moderates are having more of an impact on the Attorney General, Michaela Cash? There's been reports that she's listening to their concerns and is modifying the bill accordingly. Yes, um, I understand that some modifications are being made. The information I have is only secondhand. So um, what I'm about to say, it has becomes heavily caveated. Uh, I don't know for certain exactly what sections have been taken out. I understand that the section related to healthcare professionals, I mentioned before, the section that allows them to discriminate on the basis of a religious belief or a conscientious objection, that that's been taken out. Now, of course, like I said, it may still be in the final bill, but at the moment I understand that that's under review scrutiny and is not one of the more favoured sections. It's the same with the Falau Clause uh, that is named after Israel Falau that would require um, companies to allow employees to say whatever they want on uh, Twitter and Facebook in their own time uh, without any kind of oversight or any sort of you know guidelines regarding inclusion or discrimination. Understand that that's being considered, reconsidered as well. Unfortunately, from what I understand, the override of the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act uh, and other anti-discrimination acts isn't being reviewed as strongly, and that may still be in the bill. So my concern is, and again, I'm not certain about that, that's just second-hand information. My concern, though, in general, is that um, even though the bill might be better or less worse, less bad than the bill we had before, it would still contain sections that would roll back existing protections um, for LGBTIQA plus people and anyone else who falls foul of traditional religious prejudices. Um, and that, of course, includes women, particularly women accessing healthcare, people with disability, uh, minority faiths, Indigenous people. Um, all of these groups are set to be disadvantaged even if just one of the offensive provisions of the previous bill remain in the, in the upcoming bill. Um, it's not like those provisions I've outlined are cumulatively bad. They are, but each one of them um, in turn is is, is an is a anti-discrimination horror story. Um, they all must be removed. And uh, I recently wrote an article in which I said it, it's time to start from scratch. We can't be tinkering with this bill. We can't be taking out bits and leaving other bits, hoping that they'll be slightly less offensive or less, they'll make life less difficult for minorities. Um, this bill is riven with problems. Uh, it needs to be thrown out the window, and we need to start again. If the government wants to, to draft a religious discrimination bill that's conventional, that just prevents discrimination, then it needs to start from scratch because this bill is just too awful. That sounds like it would be politically very difficult for the government, but it sounds like, you know, the best course of action really is just to ditch it completely and rely on the states to uh, manage anti-discrimination. Yes, I understand that when I say the bill should be ditched, <laughs> that that may uh, be something that's going to be hard for the government because it's given a lot of people a lot of commitments on this. But don't forget that it keeps telling us, it keeps telling the Australian people that this is a conventional discrimination law, that it's there to prevent discrimination, not to encourage it. Christian Porter said that time and again when he was Attorney General, and Michaelia Kasher said the same. You're right, of course, that it's made a lot of commitments to some very conservative church leaders uh, that they will have extra rights, that they will be able to discriminate regardless of existing 
standards or laws regarding inclusion or, or discrimination. It's made those commitments and it's going to um, be hard for, for the government to get out of those commitments. But um, that's what it said to us. It said that it will be a conventional law and that's what we need this to be. You're right that ultimately state law is quite um, sufficient uh, in the area of uh, religious discrimination, um, in most states at least. In my home state of Tasmania, we have quite strong laws protecting LGBTIQA plus people from discrimination, very strong. But we also have very strong laws protecting people of faith from discrimination. Those two things can go hand in hand. Um, and that's been the case in Tasmania for, for a quarter of a century, that those very strong protections have coexisted. There's no reason that they can't happen in federal law as well. The problem is that uh, New South Wales and South Australia don't have those kinds of religious protections. Um, if those two states were to enact uh, or to reform their discrimination laws to protect people of faith from discrimination in a conventional way, then that would really be problem solved. Uh, I, I don't mind if the Commonwealth wants to enact a, a conventional religious discrimination law that just protects people of faith, full stop. Um, but it really feels like the Commonwealth isn't capable of doing that at the moment <laughs> because of um, the close connections between the government and these various conservative faith leaders. Um, and because of this uh, narrative about the need to protect religious freedom that seems to have gone run so, run so deeply in the federal coalition, of course, it's a false narrative. Uh, after marriage equality, we had a former... Howard Government Minister Philip Ruddock chairing a panel looking at whether religious freedom needs to be protected in Australia. Uh, and what that inquiry found was that the protections that currently exist are quite fine, that there's no threat to religious freedom in Australia, uh, that we don't need a bill that allows religious uh, leaders to be able to say or do whatever they want. Their freedom isn't a threat. Um, if we want to protect people from discrimination, that's fine. But the Ruddock inquiry found that the kind of bill that we've seen from the federal government is not necessary, yet the federal government goes ahead, has gone ahead with it um, uh, up until now, and that's because it seems to, be, have, seems to have been swept away by this narrative from the United States that marriage equality poses a great threat to religious freedom, that uh, trans equality poses a great threat. Um, and that somehow people of faith are being persecuted and need protection from that. And therefore, um, they want to punch holes in the existing discrimination law to allow that um, uh, people of faith to, to say and do whatever they want. It's a pernicious narrative. It's not based on reality. Um, it's caused immense harm, harm in the United States, where we've seen states there enacting so-called Religious Freedom Restoration Acts and taking away existing protections uh, from LGBTIQA plus people, plus the other people I mentioned earlier, people with disability and, and others. Um, we just don't need that kind of thing in Australia. It's not necessary. Religious freedom is already protected. Um, it's, a, it's a false and damaging narrative. And I hope at one stage, at some stage, the coalition can, by ditching this bill, for instance, um, say no to this ridiculous narrative of religious freedom and persecution um, and get back on track with mainstream Australian values. And the discrimination laws in Australia have helped create over the last 40 and 50 or 40 or 50 years 
a much more tolerant and inclusive society than once we were. The idea that we would roll back those protections and roll back that achievement in the name of so-called religious freedom is abhorrent. And I think most Australians agree. I think most would say religious freedom is not under threat. We don't need to change our anti-discrimination laws. They're fine. Uh, they benefit us all. We're a better nation because of them. Let's stop putting religious freedom at war with discrimination protections. It sounds like the federal government is of the view that it needs those Christian groups that you mentioned before. Uh, it sounds like it regards them as being fairly, you know, central to its re-election plans or hopes. Yes, I assume so. I'm not privy to to strategic discussions within the federal coalition, um, but it does look that way. It looks like they feel they need um, the support of conservative religious leaders um, in, a, in a number of different churches. Um, and I know this bill has strong backing from the Catholic Bishops Conference of Australia, and it also has strong backing from big evangelical uh, and fundamentalist faiths, uh, like mega churches in the outer suburbs. So I assume the calculation that the coalition is running here, the electoral calculation, is that by putting this bill up, it makes it look more, the, makes the coalition look more godly, more in tune with religious values, and that 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 will mean they are able to corral voters. Uh, particularly in outer urban uh, megachurches um, in places like Western Sydney, uh, to a lesser extent the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, southern suburbs of Brisbane. It's exactly the same electoral calculation, James, that the coalition made in 2004 when um, John Howard uh, amended the Marriage Act to, explicit, to explicitly ban the recognition of same-sex marriages. It was exactly the same calculation, that that would somehow corral voters of faith uh, in, in key electorates, particularly in Western Sydney. Um, and not, not only voters who are actually voters of faith, but also uh, maybe less religious or non-religious voters, but who, voters who still access services that are offered by those megachurches in the form of um, you know, charity or uh, the schools that they run or, uh, or whatever those services might be. The calculation is that those megachurches have a big uh, impact in their local communities and that to corral those voters and the voters, the votes of people who are associated with those churches or use those churches' services will somehow mean it'll make the difference in a, in a tight election. That will mean that, you know, one or two seats, particularly in Western Sydney, um, that will tip the balance. I talk about Western Sydney in particular because... Um, of course, your listeners will remember that in the postal survey in 2017 on marriage equality, while the nation returned a yes vote of 61.6%, there was a swathe of seats in Western Sydney that returned a no vote. Sometimes the yes vote in those, you know, there are examples of where the yes vote in some of those electorates was below 30%. So there certainly is an issue there of um, you know, resistance to or failure to accept LGBTIQA plus equality. Um, and uh, the government will definitely be targeting those seats. Some of those seats are held by Labor members, and the, the current government, the Morrison government, will definitely be targeting those seats, and this bill will be part of that. The irony there is that um, the people who have most to lose, I think, if this bill passes, particularly the bills as they've been in their as we've seen already in their first and second iterations, 
uh, won't be LGBTIQA plus people, uh, but it'll be people with disability. Um, people with disability in Australia still experience, many still experience religious discrimination, religious uh, demeaning conduct in the grounds of religion, be it being told that their disability is the result of their parents being sinful or being, uh, as one person who uses a wheelchair told me recently, being chased down the street by people who wanted to lay hands on her and heal her, uh, that's not uncommon. And people with disability need the protections they currently have in discrimination law to take action when that just goes over the top, that kind of very negative religious response to disability. Um, I mentioned the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act, Section 17, which the um, Religious Discrimination Bill has in its previous iterations sought to water down by having a religious exemption. Um, the overwhelming majority of people who make complaints under that section uh, about, you know, against demeaning and humiliating conduct are people with disability. Uh, then the next biggest groups are women and people of colour and uh, LGBTIQA plus people make up about 5% of the complaints. So if that section is watered down and humiliating and intimidating conduct is allowed on the grounds of religion, as the federal government wants, the people who are going to suffer most from that are people with disability. And I just do not understand why our government would allow that. Isn't it tough enough already <laughs> to live in this ableist world if you've got a disability without your protections being taken away? Um, and how unfair is it that the government is running this culture war and this electoral, as we've said, this electoral sort of strategy aimed at um, sort of picking up on the, on the homophobia that might exist in some faith communities in, in some parts of Australia, trying to stir that up to, for electoral gain and the people who suffer most from that God versus the gays narrative are people with disability. That is ridiculous. It's so... Um, cynical and morally corrupt to stir up a culture war against LGBTIQ plus people to start with, but then for the people who suffer most from that culture war being people with disability and other minorities who need those protections, as well as LGBTQA plus people, that is really evil. You're listening to an interview with Rodney Croom on 3CRs in your face. 3CRs Rodney, recently you wrote that legislative compromise gave Australia the worst marriage equality legislation in the world. Uh, can you elaborate on that? The context for that, James, um, was that I wrote that I don't believe that there should be a compromise on the religious discrimination bill. Like I said, every bad bit is so bad <laughs> that, that, that the whole bill, ne whole bill needs to go. Um, and if we get rid of that bill, I think it'll send a really strong message um, that we as a nation repudiate this false and damaging religious freedom narrative, that religious freedom is somehow under threat and needs protection by giving people of faith special rights that other people don't have. That's why I think there shouldn't be any compromise in the, in the religious discrimination bill, and that message is directed at the moderate liberals who are negotiating at the moment, and it's directed towards the Labor Party and to the Senate, where this bill, if it is put to Parliament will hopefully, fingers crossed, be stopped. I want us to send a message that there's no negotiating with those uh, who push this narrative about religious privilege, which is what it's actually about. Um, 
there's no negotiating with them. There's no appeasement of them. I said that in 2017 as well. I said that there shouldn't be compromises in regards to so-called religious freedom in the marriage equality legislation that passed our parliament. Um, and that's the context for the statement that, that you just uh, read from me. The fact that there was negotiation and there was appeasement of this religious privilege narrative is led to the worst marriage equality legislation in the world. The legislation gave civil celebrants an out, it gave them a right to discriminate against people who seek their services um, if, they could not, if they wanted to nominate themselves as religious celebrants. So these are people who had undertaken an official job on behalf of the government to solemnise marriages. It's a government duty. They were delegated by the state to perform a duty and suddenly they were allowed to discriminate. Um, religious institutions that, that normally hire out commercial venues for any number of different activities activity, any number of different activities, were suddenly given an exemption so that they could say no to same-sex couples wanting to have a reception at a hall um, that might be the only hall in their town. But because it's linked to a faith uh, body, suddenly that there was an exemption there that hadn't been there already. Um, and this particularly applied in Tasmania where, like I said, we already have very strong anti-discrimination laws. So suddenly, our Anti-Discrimination Act is being rolled back, the discriminations are being weakened uh, because of the negotiations of people in Canberra uh, to try to get marriage equality through um, by conceding on these points of religious privilege, religious discrimination, um, and uh, trying to appease their opponents. Now, they, they would say, those who were negotiating the bill would say, well, we had to do that. There was no choice. And I'd respond by saying absolutely there was a choice. Firstly, we had the backing of the nation. 62% of Australians said yes to marriage equality. Um, why would we then go out and negotiate with those who'd lost that postal survey for them to get some of their, you know, their so-called protections in that bill? There was overwhelming support in Parliament for marriage equality. Why would we? Why did we engage in negotiation when there was already strong support and it was going to get through regardless? We didn't need ninety-nine percent of politicians voting for it. Fifty-one percent would have been enough. It's. I don't understand why we made those concessions. It seemed so unnecessary, and it really left the door ajar to what we're facing right now by 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 allowing these caveats compromises in the marriage quality legislation by saying, oh yeah, we agree that um, religious freedom is under threat and, and that we need to change the law to stop Christians being persecuted and change the law in a way that gives people extra rights that weren't there before, rolling back discrimination protections, all because of this false narrative about freedom and persecution on the grounds of religion. Why did we do that? We didn't need to do that. And we opened the door to the legislation we face today, which is just a, 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 an outgrowth of that. Um, you, could, you could tell at the time, I mean, I could tell at the time and many people could tell at the time that this was a mistake, um, that uh, conceding these points, that religious privilege is okay in the law, that we should make laws that allow people of faith to have special rights and that roll back existing discrimination protections led directly to the religious discrimination bill we have today. We only needed to look to the United States 
to see that how history un has unfolded. In the United States, after marriage equality, this whole religious freedom push began to get special rights in the law. Um, and it began with bakers. You'll remember that there was a baker or two who said, oh, I don't want to have to serve same-sex couples. Um, and then it went to county clerks who said, oh, I'm not going to register uh, a same-sex marriage, um, as even though that's my job, I'm not going to do that because God tells me not to. And people accepted that. They said, oh, okay, you won't have to then. Fine, we'll find someone else to do it. But pretty soon, that had, met, that had grown into this, uh, to these awful free, religious freedom restoration acts at a statewide level that rolled back all of these discrimination protections, not only for bakers and county clerks, but in healthcare, in accommodation, in housing, in, 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 in employment, so that suddenly it was legitimate to discriminate against same-sex partners. And not just same-sex partners, but um, uh, interracial partners. If, if someone didn't want to have to serve an interracial partner because they felt that that was ungodly, then they had that right. It's just gone out of all proportion. And you can see that that would happen in Australia too, unless as a nation we repudiate that narrative and say um, religious freedom is not under threat. Christians are not being persecuted. They do not need extra rights in the law. They should be treated the same as everyone else. We haven't said that as a nation yet. The coalition certainly isn't saying it. It's saying the opposite. The Labor Party refuses to, to say that. Uh, it's made itself a very small target on this issue and is not commenting on the broader problem, uh, even the Australian Human Rights Commission, which should be defending human rights, which should be defending or uh, standing against the devaluation of concept, concepts like religious freedom, the abuse of concepts like that, even it refuses to call out this movement for religious privilege. I find it very frustrating as an Australian who's worked so hard for discrimination protections for so long to have these institutions, they're, they're very legacies are those anti-discrimination laws, and yet they are refusing to stand up to this religious privilege narrative that um, rolls back those protections. Why is that, Rodney? It seems extraordinary the Human Rights Commission isn't taking a stand. Is it because uh, they're fearful of a reprisal of the kind that happened to Gillian Triggs? Um, yes, possibly. Now, to be fair to the Human Rights Commission, they have expressed their concerns about the religious discrimination bill about the details, and that's great. You expect them to, but that's great they've done that. What they haven't done is stood up and said, there is a movement here to roll back discrimination protections, not just in that bill, but right across the board. We see it in the New South Wales Parliament where Mark Latham has introduced a religious freedom bill that, again, rolls back existing protections for everyone else in the name of religious freedom and gives religious people special rights. We see the same thing in any number of state parliaments. There's a movement for this that comes from the United States and is a backlash to marriage equality and, a, and is an abuse of traditional ideas about human rights and freedoms. Um, it, the Australian Human Rights Commission has an obligation to stand up and call that out and say this is not true, a true human rights narrative. This is a concoction. This is a confection which allows discrimination in the name of faith. And that's not what we believe in in Australia. It, it, it devalues the language of human rights, the very language that the Human Rights Commission deals in. And yet it refuses to stand up and say, no, we have to stop this. This is not the direction this country should go in. And yes, that's probably because of intimidation by former governments 
against various members of the Commission. Of course, the Labor Party doesn't stand up and say that because it sees what the Coalition is doing, targeting seats, particularly in Western Sydney, that it currently um, that it currently has a claim on, that the Labor Party currently holds, and uh, it doesn't want to lose those seats. So it just doesn't say anything. Um, it's distressing that this great achievement of ours as a nation, the, the network of anti-discrimination laws that have made us a more inclusive, a more tolerant, uh, a more equal society over the last 50 years, this is, that, that it's now under the greatest threat it has ever faced from this religious privilege narrative, and yet the people who built those laws, institutions like the Human Rights Commission and the Labor Party, and to an extent the Coalition at various times in the past, that none of them are willing to stand up and say, we will defend these laws, all of them, from this narrative that says somehow they are a threat to freedom. They are not. They are what guarantees our freedom. They are not a threat to human rights. They are based on human rights. Where is the voice saying that, James? Apart from lonely voices like me and others, where is the institutional voice in Australia saying our discrimination protections matter and we will not allow a confected American narrative about religious uh, freedom and persecution, which is actually about privilege, privilege for prejudice, not freedom for faith, we will not allow that narrative to roll back our great achievement. Where are those voices? It's deeply disillusioning for me that there's so few. Romney Krim, always inspirational to chat with you on 3CR. Thank you so much. Thanks, James. 
Abigail Bear losing my religion, taking his eyes the church, Metropolis.
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. I think 3CR is the voice of the people, speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think, and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear.